Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Ellen Sarah's podcast. Today is an interesting one. Um, I got to say, I never would have thought two years ago that I would have been okay having my personal life coach, a guest on a, on the, you know, on the podcast as a guest with just me, not Aaron. So this is the first episode I've ever done alone. Every episode that Aaron hasn't been here for, I've had a guest, I've had, um, like a guest host, either my best friend or I don't know. I think I had somebody else, but so this is the first time I ever did it alone and it was really amazing. And I didn't know if I would regret it, I, w- I didn't know if it would be like TMI, you know, too much, way too much information because this is my personal life coach. But I I was excited for you guys to get a little taste of his power and of his knowledge because he has such an incredible way of just making it all make sense. So many things don't make sense. And he just, he makes it all make sense. By the way, he is available for people who are looking for a new life coach. He is available to take a new, a few new people. So if this is something, if you want to be on the journey that I've been on in trying to better myself and make sense of why I am the way I am, you should message me and I will give you his information. So today we have my professional certified life coach, Josh Gibson. He's done a million things. He has a very, very, very large resume. He does consulting to companies, to startups, does a lot of mental health work. He just, he coaches people. He coaches people and he coaches businesses. And I'm so grateful for how he's helped me. So without further ado, me and my life coach, Josh. Okay, you guys, I think we're just going to start, even though there's never a good time to start because, you know, I am uh, having my life coach, Josh, on with us today is I'm I'm sort of like held to the fire because we've been doing so much work. He's going to be seeing if this work is paying off because my initial feeling is like, oh my God, I'm so nervous because I do this with Aaron. You know, as long as you're aware that you're being judged by me and by everybody else in the in the listening audience, I think you're going to be just fine. I don't think don't think you'll be having any trouble. I know, but it's so funny because it's like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my my insecurities, my self worth, all the things that I came to you for are kind of like on fire right now. They're kind of like presenting at this moment. But you know what? We're going to work past it, and we're going to get through it. I think we will. I think you have the tools to, to well, do that. We'll see. I pay you a lot of money. So, you know. The, <laughs> I, <laughs> I better. So I'm on, I'm on, I'm on task too here. I think that, um, you know, hopefully it will just stay at a low simmer, those things, and you will make your way through in the way that you have been making your way Yeah, but through. my heart rate is high, higher than normal. I think you're going to yeah. be okay. Do you need a minute to do some breathing exercises? No, I think we just have to get through it. I think that we just have to go and we have to persevere and we have to just do it. But I, um, it's funny, like I am an oversharer in a lot of ways, but I'm, I feel like I'm really going to overshare today, but I think that I'm okay with it. I feel very connected to our audience. Our audience is not a judgmental audience. Our audience is on the journey with me. Our audience, first and foremost, we have never 
gotten this many submissions. Right, Allison? Never. We got like hundreds. Hundreds. And what that tells me is that a lot of people are feeling stuck. A lot of people are wanting to heal. A lot of people are wanting to do the work. A lot of people don't know how. And a lot of people are just, I don't know. A lot of people are just feeling it hard. We were shocked at how many people, because I didn't know. I was like, look, it's a pain in the ass to fill out a Google Doc. Who wants to take the time to do that? You know, like, we'll see if we get a couple good questions. And Allison was like, Sarah, we're having hundreds of submissions for you, Josh. That's a lot. No, they're all great questions. And um, a lot of people, we hope we can help people out today. That was your goal in asking me on. And I'm excited to- Well, like the truth is, you know, the thing about you, because some people said to me, they're like, why do you, why are you seeing a life coach and not a therapist? And the thing about you is you you just cut through the bullshit quick. We're not sitting there, um, you know, looking at, you know, levitating above my body, looking at my four-year-old self, like some therapists have had me do in the past. Um, You're just giving me tools in real time. I'm giving you dilemmas that I'm going through. I mean, it can be as simple as, I got into a fight with so-and-so. This is the text they sent me. How can I respond to this text by being... um, secure and clear about what I want, but not bitchy. And we'll, you'll literally help me write the text. Well, I help you unlock the ability in yourself to write right, that exactly. Text. You help me, you guide me to the point where I'll be like, okay, if I say, go fuck yourself, will that, what kind of position will that put me in? Josh, like, how does that serve you to say, go fuck yourself? You will literally say now. And you'll think about <laughs> yes. it. <laughs> I'll literally say, I'm just, I have this urge to tell this person to go fuck themselves and that he will walk me back. And then I'll come out of it going, God, it's so crazy that I really would have sent this text telling this person. And now looking at it from Josh's perspective, I'm like, what was I, what was wrong with my brain? Okay. So as our audience knows, I started my self-healing t- journey later in life. Okay. Yes. I had seen a therapist as a kid, because obviously my parents went through a divorce and that was traumatic and all those things. So when I was a little kid, I went and saw somebody. I don't really have a memory of it. Um, And then in my 20s, I was in a really toxic relationship and my parents like, you need to go see somebody. So I saw that person for about a year. But I had never, you know, Erin, who has been, is my partner in business and my sister, I've watched her on this journey kind of peripherally, like, right? Going like, oh God, she's kind of like healing herself. And she's kind of, she's not triggered by the things I'm triggered by. And so we were on vacation in Lake Tahoe during COVID. And she looked at me and said, I really think it's time. Like, I really think it's time that that you just start looking at this shit. And I have somebody for you that, I think will be perfect because he's not a traditional therapist. He's a life coach. And I think if you found somebody that could not only help you heal from your trauma and walk you through all those things and help you identify why you are who you are and why you do the things that you do, but also at the same time, he's going to help you with business. And he's going to, you know, talk to you about the deck we're building to go out and fundraise. He's really just sort of this all-encompassing um, anchor that you can go to for all those things. And so I said, 
okay, I mean, I guess. And they're like, but he's not really seeing people. He's not really taking new people. And I said, how the fuck? Uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> well, somehow though, you did get in. You made you 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 did get seen. Yeah, we it. got in. And, and I remember the first time we talked. I was on FaceTime, which is that's different. Right now I think it's normalized because people do therapy on Zoom and they do, you know, the, these these apps and they whatever. But I remember I was in my car and I was so nervous. I was really nervous to start this journey. I was really nervous for you, for a stranger to see me. And I think my my hesitance about going to therapy or going and doing the work is like, how am I supposed to explain, you know, so many years, a hundred and thousand years of life and experiences to somebody fast enough for them to see me and understand me? And you were like, yeah, we don't need to do that. Like, what's up? Like, how are you feeling today? And I was like, oh, and there was a method to your madness because I didn't even realize what you were doing, but by us just having conversation and you were asking these things. And I think you got, had like a real assessment of me quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the real, the real difference between coaching and therapy is therapy. You're looking backwards a lot of the time and you're looking at the trauma and you're looking at the, the root cause and coaching. And, and there's, don't get me wrong. Like some things you, you, there is real trauma and you do need to it's very helpful to go through and process that. And if you're depressed, it's very helpful to go through specific therapies for depression or anxiety or panic. And those are all great tools. But for, for regular life, you know, uh, coaching, you, you're working from a place of health and a place of thinking about what are your strengths and how do I, how do you turn yourself into the ideal version of you? What's your, what's your, what's your vision? What's your goals? How do you really live your values at work and at home and in whatever other sphere? So, so I think that's, yeah, it's a very different approach than, you know, tell me about your childhood. Like that's just not, your childhood is relevant and has shaped who you are, but what's more important is how, how can you work in the more practical way? What, what type of tools will help you be more successful in your life and build better relationships and all those sorts of things that people come to coaching for. Yeah, but you have a you have a sneaky way of of you've really helped me. I think a lot of the time when you're somebody that is that is hasn't healed, hasn't started the journey yet, you have so many misplaced feelings and you don't know where to trace them back to. So I'll act out in a certain way and I'll be like, "Oh my god, like why am I doing that? You know, why am I doing that?" And you have helped me trace it back which then gives you not permission, but it helps you kind of forgive yourself for being the way that you are because that, yeah. Like I'll- You can start with accepting like, well, this is, Mm -hmm. this is where I am. Mm -hmm. And then you can say like, well, do I want to keep being that way? And then what's going to help, help me move into a, a different way of relating or showing that I care about my sister or, or whoever. Yeah, but when you right? understand why you are the way you are, then it almost helps you move on from it. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It does, For me, at least. For me, I've really like, yeah. I've let things, and if my family's listening to this, they're probably going to be like, ah, you know, they'll have something to say. But I know that things that triggered me three years ago before we started doing the work do not trigger me anymore because I truly understand why they are the way they are. That is something you have. So I would say that you have helped me. And 
we, we want to get to questions because so many of you guys had such amazing dilemmas in your life that I'm so excited for you to hear Josh's perspective because sometimes it's a lot, you're making it more complicated than it is. Sometimes it actually, there is an easy solution. And so I'm excited to get to your problems, but not your problems, sorry, your dilemmas. Um, but I would say for you and I, I would say that you have helped me. I started off feeling my confidence was at like a zero, right? I mean, and we can talk about it. I mean, I was really, and I still am to a certain extent, but it's better. I mean, really lacking self-worth. I really kind of thought of myself as, I mean, not the way that you saw me, right? You were like, Sarah, I don't mm -hmm. see you this way. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to. No, you can say, you can no, you can say. You, I want you to say what you want to say and then we can edit it back, truly. Like, I'm open. So as comfortable as you are, I'm comfortable. All right. Well, so I think, and that's a very common thing. And I'm sure that a lot of people, some of the questions that we got definitely were, were centered in that sense of like, oh, I don't feel good about myself and I have to present an image of who I am in order to be accepted mm -hmm. and, and cared about and be successful. And, and the, the hard, and I get where that comes from and what people really need to do to move forward from that in general is you have to be able to see both the intellectual reality, the rational reality, if you will, and the, the, the reality that you're feeling, because that's real also. And you're really trying to bring those things together. Um, so we've talked about this, you and I, but obviously not every listener has heard this, but your, your emotional brain, your unconscious, your emotional brain runs milliseconds ahead of your thinking brain. And we are storytellers. So our brains make up stories about what has happened to us. And so there's some fascinating studies that looked at split brain patients. Uh, those are people who have intractable seizure disorder and one of the kind of the last ditch uh, treatment for that if medication won't stop the seizures is they cut the uh, body of tissue in your brain called the corpus callosum. And that's what connects the left hemisphere of your brain and the right hemisphere. And those, those brain, the, the right hemisphere, that's your more, uh, emotional systems thinking brain. Uh, and your left hemisphere, that's where most language is centered. And that's our story making brain. That's where we come up with all of our ideas by why we do what we do. And they may or may not be accurate or valid. And with these split brain patients, there's a, a famous study, um, with one of them where they, there's a little trick you can do because your visual fields aren't exactly left, your left eye doesn't just feed into your right brain. It's the left field of yeah. vision feeds into yeah. the right brain. But you can do a little electrical trick to, to make yeah. that seem just what's shown to one field of vision or mm -hmm. another. So they show it so the only the right brain can see the word walk. And the left brain is just talking to an interviewer. And then the guy actually gets up and the, the right brain can understand simple language. And guy gets up and starts walking towards the experimenter. And the experimenter says to the guy, why are you walking towards me? And the guy will say something like, I want to get a Coke or I'm thirsty, which is not at all why the guy got up. The guy got up because a sign was showed to his right brain that said, walk. He got up and started walking. So we'll make stuff up like that about who we are and what our experience is and what's happening in the world around us. And we won't, we'll believe that to be true. We'll believe what our storytelling brain tells us is the truth. So people have a lot of negative stories. You had a negative story about yourself that 
uh, you frequently referred to yourself as a monster. I, I, ha- I did. I remember I would be like, I yes. mean, I'm sorry. Like, am I a monster that I feel this way? Am I? And you were like, Sarah, you're not a monster. I mean, I would, I, I would say to him, I'd start sessions. I'd be like, Aaron says I'm a narcissist. Like I am, I know I'm not a narcissist. Like this is, you know, I mean, we've, I've said right. crazy, not crazy things to you, but I mean, I mean, just looking back to where I was when we started, we started not even three years ago. I think we, I think we started mm-hmm. September. Right. Oh wait, no, maybe. No, it's like August. Yeah. I think it's just a touch. Yeah. Over okay, three. fine. So it's yeah. just a touch over three. I mean, look, I think I'm always kind of going to struggle with, you know, does this person like me? Am I good enough? Do I deserve this? I, there might always be that little voice, but let me tell you that voice is a lot quieter. I think right. you've helped right. me really. Um, I mean, you've helped me with so many things, but I think things that are applicable to the audience, things that they can understand. Um, you've taught me about, I used to, I used to associate my self-worth with how I, you know, I'm only, people only like me if I look pretty. People only like me if I'm dating this person. People only like me if I'm friends with this person. People only like me if, you know, whatever it was. And you brought me back into my body in a lot of ways. You were like, Sarah, life is all about, I mean, I'm not going to say this as eloquently as you do, but you've really made me realize that we're only as, successful as our human connections. That the thing at the end of the day that makes us feel seen, that gives us joy, that brings us happiness, that makes us laugh, that makes us feel all the things is our relationships. Yeah. Fulfillment totally flows from your relationships. And there's a great book called The Good Mm -hmm. Life, and I'm blanking on the author's name, uh, but it's from the Harvard study. It came out, I think, late last year, um, or maybe it was early this year. But it, it 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 goes through and studies people longitudinally over like 70, 80 years. And it tells them, you know, money isn't correlated with success. Status isn't correlated with fulfillment. When people are getting towards the end of their lives, they are the happiest when they are connected to other people. And the strength of their relationships is what really determined whether they felt good or not. It's so true. It's like about who they were. And what it's they like did. when yeah. I come home from a girl's dinner, which, you know, I struggle with. I, you know, Josh and I talk all the time. He's like, Have you reached out to any girlfriends this week? He made me make a list. He made me make a list of my, not non negotiables, but a list of women that are important to me. And it's a small list, like what, 10 people on it or something. And I, he's like, have you reached out to this person? Just reach out to this person and just tell them you're thinking about them. It will make you feel good. It will bring you happiness to connect with that person that maybe you're a little disconnected with. And it's so true. When I connect with a friend, it gives me, my, my endorphins get working way more than when I get a phone call of like, oh, you just got, you know, offered X amount of dollars to go speak at this thing. Like you, it's, you can't even compare it. But for so right. long, I was like, I have to be successful. I have to make money. I have to show up in this way. I was holding myself to this. And I think there's like that, there's the hustle culture. There's so many things that we can, but I think a lot of people are feeling like this. I think a lot of people who have great jobs, who have maybe a great husband or a wife, who have who have kids, for whatever reason, they're feeling like I'm not doing enough. And do you think that's a little bit 
Do you think people have always been like that? And it just is sort of heightened now because of this hustle culture mentality? Or are you seeing people more than ever feeling um, like they're not living their potential? Does that, does that make sense to you what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that there's a lot of people who feel they have to, they have to bring value to a relationship. And so they've got to be a particular way or, or have a hot take on whatever, or they're, 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 they're going to be judged by who they're connected to. And the hard part about that is that the real relationships that make you feel fulfilled and connected are with the people who are not judging you. They're accepting you. Acceptance is the, the better part of love. And that's the core thing is being able to see like, well, this is where this person is. And they, they may make a misstep or they may make a mistake, but that's not going to, that's not going to intrinsically hurt my connection with that person. That's a chance for us to actually deepen the relationship. I mean, being able to say, Hey, when you said that, that hurt my feelings. And, and you've seen that in action. You've told me stories about that, where you've had conversations with people after the fact and been able to say, Oh, well, I, I wasn't my best self. But we've talked about it on the podcast. We've talked about this a lot about how vulnerability connects people. And until the work with you, I never tapped into my vulnerability. I always associated vulnerability with weakness, always. And we Mm -hmm. know why. Um, We know why. But my life has changed. My relationships, I mean, there's still a lot of work to do with certain relationships, but a lot of... Um, I think I start with the, I don't want to say low hanging fruit, but I start with, you know, working relationships at work, right? Like I am, I am way more understood and way more respected as a leader when I actually am vulnerable. It's so funny. I think as leaders, you think you have to be this tough, you know, tough woman, tough, whatever. But the truth is your team doesn't see you as a better leader if you have zero vulnerability. And the the people who I work with in in like you know I do pure executive coaching I do life coaching I do business coaching I do a variety of different things, but what you see in business is yeah if you if you aren't showing curiosity if you aren't trying to facilitate people doing stuff if you're thinking I've got to be the person who has every answer then you have a bunch of people working for you who don't feel like you see them and you aren't getting the most out of your team. And, and you aren't generally moving the organization forward. So yeah, it's super important to show that curiosity and show that vulnerability and say, like, I don't have all the answers. What do you think? Totally. Okay, you guys, I would say that my immune system is stronger than it has ever been in my entire life since now doing AG1 for well over three years. It's one scoop in the morning. That's all it is. There's no protocol. It's one scoop in the morning, And in that one scoop, you have your 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients. You've got your probiotics, superfoods, basically anything you need to get that optimal baseline health. This is, this is it right here. You're going to start seeing your eyes look a little brighter, your skin a little clearer. You're going to feel a little more rested. You're going to have a little more energy. You're going to notice those changes quickly. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why we've honestly been a partner with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packets with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash foster. That's drinkag1.com slash foster. Check it out. 
Jenny Kane, guys, Jenny Kane has created the perfect aesthetic. Not only their clothes, their sweaters, her home decor is the thing that everybody's talking about. It's just the littlest touch can elevate your space, whether it's a candle, whether it's a pillow. Listen, the holidays are right around the corner. Amazing gift. See if you can do expedited shipping or if you, she has stores all over the place. Go to her store, get a throw blanket, get a pillow, get a candle, get uh, anything, Jenny Kane. And trust me, the recipient of those gifts will feel loved because it's just a very thoughtful, thoughtful gift. Um, She also has a membership, like a home membership program. Okay. She does incredible uh, tablescapes little side tables for your bed. I mean, it's just really endless. The Jenny Kane aesthetic is simplistic chicness. I don't know. I can't explain it. See it for yourself. Gift yourself and your loved ones the best gift of all. Jenny Kane. Our listeners are getting 15% off your first order when you use the code FOSTER15 at JennyKane.com slash home. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com slash home, promo code FOSTER15. Why did you have me, um, I mean, I know why, but tell the audience, why did you have me do the values exercise? And let's tell the audience what that is. And and I think we can read. So I, he gave me a list of what, like 100 values or something? There were a lot of values on there. So, and it's just a thought starter because it doesn't, you could have picked, you could have picked other words too. Were you surprised um, by the ones I picked? I wasn't completely surprised by the ones you picked. You know, I wonder, and, and the thing that happens a lot of the time when you're going through work on yourself is your values wind up shifting and changing. And so I don't know if you would pick the exact same ones again today either. Um, but you, you, I like to do that with people because it helps them figure out what do I want my ideal self to be. There was a a study that came out um, pretty recently, actually, that I think I found through the Institute on Coaching or the uh, ICF, I forget which now. But the, the, the gist of it was that when people are more able to access their ideal self and their strengths, they are more able to change rapidly and, and, and have, uh, you know, more quickly get to their goals. And when people are focusing on what their problems are or on uh, what's going wrong instead of what their strengths are and what, what they could be or what they want to be, they change more slowly, right? And so it's a, it's a, it's a striking thing. And so being able to really tune into what your strengths are um, is huge. I mean, it'll tune into what your values are, are huge. These are the things that guide us towards who we want to be and being our better selves. Right. Like I'll tell you something, I'll explain something to you and you'll be like, all right, well, let's go back to your values. And it took right. me like, is this, does it apply? And you'll go, okay, right. no. All right. Well right. then I need a shift. Okay. So let's tell, should we tell the audience what my values were? Before you do that, can I ask how far into you working together did you do this? That's a good question. That's a great question. We did that about a little over a yeah, year. Yeah, so two Sorry, years. A year ago? Yeah. So I'll, I'll bring it in with people. It just kind of depends on how things are, are going and, and where we're headed and what's happening. But at, about two years ago, the time seemed right to really sort of say, okay, 
because you've been making progress, but let's let's lay out really like where do you fully want to go now that you've made these these initial changes that were based on what you wanted to do when we first started. Where do you, where where's ideal, Sarah? What's life really look like? So he gave me a hundred, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And he's like, "You need to pick seven. And I'm like, seven? There's a hundred things here that I kind of connect to. He's like, "You got to pick seven. Well, I picked eight. Um, okay, so. Rule breaking was one of the values that you left out. Otherwise, it would have been nine. I love, I listen, rule breaker for life. Okay, so they were authenticity, integrity, and not in any sort of, wait, are these in order? No. These weren't in order. No, because they're not ordered. I was like, God, I really, maybe I am a monster that family's number. <laughs> okay, so not in any particular order. Um, authenticity, integrity, compassion, loyalty, family, achievement, success, self-reliance. Um, wait, is that it? That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I would. <sighs> I mean, listen, it is weird because when you, look, I think when it comes to work and success, I think for me, I always felt like I was in the shadow of someone, right? Someone or something, sometimes even in the shadow of myself. I mean, I think I stood in the way. When I think back to like my acting career, I was, I had every opportunity at my fingertips and I was the the biggest thing standing in the way of me and my acting career. But now that I'm sitting here feeling like I couldn't have imagined work being where it is today, I don't know if it's the same level of importance. It's just weird because when really great things happen in work, it's not, it's not giving me that fire in my stomach the way that it did a year ago. Hmm? Right. Why do you think that it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think that the what what success meant to you maybe when you picked it as a value a year a little over a year ago has shifted a little bit because I think you are also seeing maybe that you don't need to be always as self-reliant. Yes. That's very true. You know, I, yeah, I think I, when you're a kid who is the oldest sibling, who have divorced parents, who you sort of feel, you know, and Aaron and I, we've talked about this on the podcast. We have very, a very different memory of our childhood, but I always felt like I had to be that I had nobody to rely on. And that's not fair to say, because I, I, my mom and dad were very present people and they gave me everything I needed. So it's not totally fair to say that, but I did feel alone emotionally a lot. I felt mm-hmm. like, oh my God, you know, I, I can't go bother Aaron and Jordan with this because they're so much younger, but I felt this thing of like, I have to take care of myself. Even though there are people listening who had it way worse and who really actually did have to take care of themselves. But listen, it's just how I felt. So I think I've carried that on into my adulthood where I'm like, oh my God, if I don't make shit happen, nothing's going to happen. You know, if I don't, if I don't achieve X, Y, and Z, like I won't have anything. And whether that's true or not, it's just, it's, as you know, it's, it's how I feel. I always am so terrified. I'm going to lose everything. I'm not going to have anything. I won't be able to take care of my kids. Like this is real. This is not, this is not like, um, sound bites. And you've had to really right. work me through that. You've had to be like, Sarah, these stories you tell yourself, 
You're just, you're telling yourself lies all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, where do we go from here? There's so many questions, but I, but I do, I do like talking about my journey because it is so important. And it's just so many people listening, I think, I, I think want to hear it. So, so let's get to you for a second in regards to, because you were at one point a therapist and then you shifted, right? So tell us mm-hmm. like a little bit about, about you. Well, I was born in Kansas. <laughs> no, I, I, we'll not do the whole giant story. I, I think that, you know, professionally, my interest has always been in making change happen. I started off working at what's now Accenture in change management as a consultant. And then I had a project where I was working with doctors and I saw, oh, you can actually make change happen one-to-one. And that's a pretty important, powerful thing to do. Um, and then, you know, I, so I, I was a therapist for a while and then I shifted into health tech again, trying to make a bigger impact and get mental health into the offices of primary care physicians, uh, with a med tech startup that I worked at. And I'd started doing coaching, um, when I was, a, when I was a psychiatrist and I continued that practice, even when I was doing these other jobs, I, I was looking forward to doing that every every Thursday night and on the weekends I would do that stuff too. And I realized as time went on that I really liked working more from this position of of health and moving people forward and and being able to really like practically help them realize and get to where they wanted to to go. So that's what really drove me to do it full time and I don't regret that at all. I love it. It's great seeing people grow and change and it's deeply fulfilling. Yeah, you really do love it. You know, you don't need to be doing this. And I feel like you're, I feel like when I'm talking to you, and I would imagine you're like this with all of your clients, that you really are proud of them. I think for you, you're like, oh, wow. Like you've said to me before, like, I'm so proud that you've, you've gotten here yourself, that you emotionally are now telling me this story through your more healed lens that, whereas opposed to three years ago, I think you retelling this story to me would have looked very differently. So Josh and I also work a lot on shame because mm-hmm. we have connected a lot of my, um, a lot of the way that I move through life and a lot of the things that upset me and a lot of the things that trigger me and a lot of the things that drive me and a lot of the things that I connect, it, we, well, Josh has connected it a lot to shame because I never correlated the two. I used to be like, what? Shame? Like, I'm not shamed about anything. I am who I am and I stand by who I am. And you're like, I am I am self-righteous. We can say it. Mm-hmm. We can say it. Uh, Josh doesn't like to put me down, but he's nodding. I, I, I'm just saying that you've I said, have that. said that. I'm not putting I have said that. But you have taught me, um, I think we, we associate shame with this with something that it isn't always, right? Like, at least for me, I always was like, I associated shame with, um, oh, I did something illegal. Or I, you know what I'm right. saying? Like something like really high stakes. But it right. but it, it doesn't. I mean, it, it actually isn't at all. So talk, let's talk a little bit about shame. Yeah, no. Sh- so we've, people feel shame all the time. I think that being, uh, when you're a parent, your number one job is actually to help your kids learn how to deal with shame because it's not an easy thing to talk about because it makes you feel less than, and, and we're wired to feel bad. Like shame is a social is emotion. Is that true? And we're so wired we have, to feel bad. 
Yeah, you're wired to feel shame. It's a, it's a social emotion, so it keeps you connected. Humans are not meant to be lone wolves. Like we're not, we're not single. We're we're a tribal animal, right? So we have social emotions that connect us together. So shame is one of those social emotions. And when you feel shame, it's that you have done something wrong in the eyes of other people. That's your your self consciousness that is that is showing you that. So. The problem is for, if you don't learn how to manage shame in the right way, where you know, like, I made a mistake rather than I am a mistake. Mm. Those are two very different things. You have to be able to see that, oh, I made a mistake and I can repair that mistake. I should feel bad about that. If you look at the the posture for people who, what's, what's hardwired into your posture when you feel shame is like you, you avert your eyes and you sink your head and you slump your shoulders. And when I see somebody like that, I want to reach out and give them a hug. I want to pull them back into the group. And is that also with eye contact? People that feel yeah. So you don't make you don't make people who feel a lot of shame don't tend to. So make I used to eye never contact. make eye contact. Like I'd go to parties mm-hmm. in my twenties, thirties, and I didn't realize until therapy. I mean, you've even had to say to me before, like you'll know if I'm off if I'm not looking at you. You can tell, right? right exactly. So okay, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Keep going. That's okay. Oh no, I but but so we're, we're we're wired to do that. So yeah, so part of what gets in people's way, one of the obstacles or limiting beliefs people have, a lot of those come from shame. And so a big part of coaching is looking at well, what is limiting the person? What is the obstacle from getting you from where you want to be to what your what your goal is? And for you, a lot of it was around shame. If we think back to when you were uh, looking at your fund and and trying to do that, you're like, I'm such an imposter. Like how? Can oh, I, I was like, this? I'm raising money. I don't want to ask anybody for money. Like I, I, and Josh is like, Sarah, are you fucking kidding me? Like you had to hold my hand through. You changed the narrative of, oh, Sarah, you're not asking people for a fucking favor. You are giving them an opportunity. So is shame connected to self-worth? Yes. Shame is connected to self-worth. It, 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 it's meant to be, biologically, it's meant to be just a fleeting connection to your temporary self-worth. Something happened that disrupted your relationship with the social beings around you who you depend on for survival and, and everything else. But when it's, when it's interrupted, you have to find a way to adaptively come back, right? And so you're wired to show this signal and, and have people pull you back in. But we don't always do that. There's maladaptive ways that we deal with shame. There's a, a psychiatrist named Don Nathanson who had a, a, a great tool. Um, it was the compass of shame. And so on the east-west axis of his compass were attack self and attack other. So if you feel shame and you, you aren't adaptively dealing with it, you can wind up overly beating yourself up for that and feel like, oh man, I'm just such a piece of garbage. Like, how did that happen? And I these people are going to hate me forever and you just beat yourself up. And too much of that is not helpful. Or you can get angry and attack others, right? Because shame makes you feel weak and small. Anger is a feeling that always makes us feel strong and big. And so if you have, I'm attacking other people and blaming you, somebody else, from why I feel bad, then I temporarily don't feel bad. So you see a lot of that. If you look around the workplace, around life, there's a lot of people who will get very angry when they're feeling shame. So anger isn't always a primary emotion. Sometimes it's a secondary But how do you develop shame? Like as somebody with a 13 and eight-year-old, is this something that starts when you're little? Is this something that your parents inflict on you? Is this like, how does, where does that come from? No, you're you're wired to have it. You can see it in in little kids. It's a core, it's a core affect and a core emotion. Like they'll, they'll know if they've done something wrong. 
based on the social reaction to them. So it's not that you are making it happen as a parent. It's a normal emotion that everybody has. So funny. I feel like, I mean, it's not funny, but I feel like some of the people I know that I just look at and I go, God, they just, they know who they are. Their self-worth is is a 10, you know, it's a 10. They're not the mm-hmm. ones that are the most successful. They're not the ones that you would necessarily think are, right? But then you would look at other people who are so successful, who you think have the best marriage, who have, they just seem like they have the best life and they are the most insecure people I know. And I guess the work that I've done with you, that leads me to think that they're re- they don't have healthy relationships. They don't have connections that are serving them. Yeah. And they may, they may just have trouble figuring out how do I repair that or how do I get out of my own way doing it, right? So, so the other things that happen, the, the rest of that compass, the north-south axis of the compass of shame is flee the scene or numb out. Right. So if you, if you watch, I can remember pretty vividly, uh, and I can't remember if I've told you this story. I've told other people this story, but I was at my cousin David's house for some family gathering, uh, back in Kansas. And my cousin David played football and he's a couple of years older than me. And he was throwing a football inside the house, which is something I would never do. I'm just much too shame prone to throw a football in the house. And of course he threw it and knocked over a vase and it shattered on the floor. And he fled the scene. He ran out of there. And you'll see that with like little kids. If something goes wrong, you'll walk in the room and be like, what happened here? And nobody's there. There are a bunch of kids in there before. And they're like, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to feel shame. So we'll flee it if we don't know how to cope with it, right? And then you can numb out. And so kind of anything you can put an aholic behind, you can you can numb out with. So the alcoholic, I guess you can't say cocaine-aholic, but whatever. You think workaholic is mm-hmm. actually people, a lot of people who are like crazy workers mm-hmm. are just not wanting to feel, so they numb out. Yeah. So it's attack self, attack other, flee the scene or avoid, and avoid slash numb out. And th- those are the, the maladaptive ways we deal with it. And if we get caught up in those behaviors instead of know how to just say, oh, I made a mistake, not I am a mistake, I've got to get away from this thing. Then we do better. So what are ways that I can, and we've talked about this, but for the audience, what are ways that knowing that we innately feel shame, it's normal, um, what are ways that I can help Valentina and Josie, who are 13 and 8, what are ways that I can help them so that it doesn't, you know, affect how they feel about themselves and decisions in their future? Well, I think with with a teenager, you can have conversations with them and hopefully you're having conversations about their relationships and you're able to help them see what is happening. And you might detect this like, oh, well, so you can look for like the telltale sign. Like, oh, I don't think they like me. I, I did this. And when you see that little sense of like, there's maybe some shame under there. And a lot of times I might minimize it. You can try to find a way to get in there and talk about it. You can share powerful things to disclose. Oh yeah. You know, I, I, in high school, I did this and I thought this friend hated me forever, but I, I, I talked to them about it and it was, it was all fine. Or, or like, oh, that's a normal feeling that happens in relationships. It's a chance to see whether that was really something that bothered them or not. Because of the way that people process shame differently. Some of them, like you said, they might not, they might avoid it and not feel it. So they don't think they have any shame. And then other people might feel it too much. And it's hard for them to kind of right-size the amount of shame they should have. So having conversations with your kids when something does seem like it went wrong in their social relationships 
is a way to help them see like how to right size. Yeah. And, and you've always to told me when it comes to situations, you're like, be honest with Valentina, say to her like, Hey, I know you just witnessed that, um, you know, conversation with me and my team. Right. And I just want you to know, mm -hmm. I'm not proud of how I handled that. And that right. is not right. how you're supposed to handle, you know, work conflicts or, you know, I know you just right. saw dad and I get into that thing, but I just want you to know that is really not how comp, right? You're always telling me to remind her that I am not perfect, mm -hmm. but that right. but that what you just saw, I don't want you to mirror. Right. And I and you're gonna do something to try to make amends for that and to try to, you know, let people know that you weren't your best self in that. Yeah, moment. that's really helped me, I think, with my parenting, especially with Valentina being the age that she is, really owning up and not not putting my shit on her, right? Because as parents, right. you don't want to put your shit on your kid. And I, th that's very different, right? But just being yeah. human, right? Showing your kid that you're human. Right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Guys, I never thought that Shopify would be something that I would know so much about. But, you know, I have a few favorite sounds in my life. One of them, of course, is the laughter of my children. But the second one is the because it means that someone has bought something on favoritedaughter.com. Actually, shop favoritedaughter.com. It's that cha-ching. And I know people are supporting us. Shopify is the global commerce platform. It helps you set up your business at every single stage. So Shopify is running some of the largest businesses on the planet. They're also running the mom and pop idea that you just started. It really can help you get your business going and then can help you scale your business. It's with you at every stage of the game, right? So from launching till, you know, you having your own brick and mortar store. You know, the thing about it is it helps you grow. You can't imagine the information, the algorithm, the data that it brings to you that instantly just helps you double, triple, freaking quadruple your sales. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor gifts, Shopify is going to help you sell everywhere. It is an all-in-one e-commerce platform. So they're in-person, POS system, whatever you're selling, they've got you covered. Um, it also helps you turn your browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, okay? So this is key right here. It's the best converted checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to the other platforms. Shopify is magic. Truly, truly magic. I am so grateful to them on a personal level with my own personal business. And I'm excited for you to uh, love them as much as I do. Okay, so guys, today you're going to sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash foster, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash foster now to grow your business, no matter what stage you are in. Shopify.com slash foster. I wish that it didn't take me as many years as it did to get the information that when you are cooking your food on toxic um, pots and pans, you're cooking those toxins into your food, which then go into your body. I know you're probably listening to this going, oh, really? I don't, that doesn't feel real to me. It's real. If you don't want to take it from me, 
You can do your research. It is 100% real. They have forever chemicals in many pots and pans. So green pan is the easiest way. Throw out those toxic pans. Green pan has you covered. They have all the skillets, all the fryers, all the things, okay? They're the first of its kind to be, well, I mean, green. (laughs) As green and toxic, chemical free. Great gift. I don't know if their shipping will get it for you in time for the holidays, but it is Thursday. So I would give it a try. It's a great gift. Guys, listen to me right now. This is an amazing, amazing gift. Green Pants Cookware, it's free of all the PFAs, the PFOAs, lead, cadmium, all of those things. It's fine if you don't know what that means. Just trust me. You don't want any of those things on your pants. Green Pan also owns their factory. So while other companies create cheap products with cheap materials, because you guessed it, it's cheaper, Green Pan's products live up to their standards. There's also a 60-day return policy. Okay, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to toss out those plastic pans. You're going to upgrade your cookware this holiday season with Green Pan. Head to greenpan.us and use promo code FOSTER. You will receive 30% off your entire order plus free shipping, which is huge, on orders over $99. 30% off. So head to greenpan.us and make sure you use our promo code FOSTER or they will not know that we sing. So another thing that you said, and then I think we should get to questions soon, but another thing that um, we work on, and I love that it's so interesting going back to this, going back to this document of um, like sort of of our coaching journey, Mm -hmm. um, feeling stronger and believing more in your self-worth as an imperfect person who better integrates feedback from people close to you in your life. Yeah. No, and I think that's a thing that you've been working hard Mm -hmm. on and, and doing more of and taking taking that in and not feeling like, yeah, I've got to be this perfect one. Yeah. When we were talking about shame, I forgot. Like, you know, I'm the person and we've talked about this on the pod. Aaron is too. Where anytime we're out in a f- public environment, we most 80% of the time come home regretting something we said. We come home going, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Why did I say that? I wanted to, I thought I was being funny because I was just trying, I really just wanted that person to like me, but that was so, why would I say that? Now that person hates me. We're always telling ourselves these stories. And and what, like, what is your advice to the person? Because sometimes you say, it's just a story you're telling yourself. But other times you've said to me, well, why don't you message that person, right? Like, Mm -hmm. why don't you message that person and just ask them? Right, well, that's a com- it's a complicated question to determine which is the which is the right case, right? I know. You well, give us know... give us like a two scenarios where like you're. Is that hard? That's a hard question. No, it's not. It's not that hard. But we'll see if this answers your question. So I think that the the core thing in terms of how you develop a sense of who you are as a person is you are you're taking in who you are and how you're received by the people who actually accept you and and love you early on, right? So ideally, your parents are seeing you, and ideally, they're seeing you accurately, but no parent is perfect. You You can't see everything accurately about your child. It's just not a possible thing to do. And so as you are growing up and and developing your sense of who you are, you start to see usually where your parents really get you and then sometimes where they might be a little bit off and don't fully get you, but maybe your friend gets you in that way. So you're 
you, you need to, to try to know like who's an accurate mirror of who I am and who understands me in this deeper way to really understand when you need to be reaching out to someone or not. If it's somebody who you barely know, they, they don't have that much of an impact on yourself. And if you're telling yourself a negative story about that, I mean, you could message somebody who you don't know, I guess you could well, find Well, I mean, in to today's message. technology, yes, you can. There's nobody that you can't get to. <laughs> so you could message me like, I'm sorry I made that joke about your socks. I hope it didn't offend you too much. <laughs> and and I maybe that's meaningful. That'd be more meaningful to somebody who actually cared about to show them like I was thinking about your reaction. I felt bad about that later. And and that person maybe is like, I didn't think anything of it. Don't worry about it. Or think, yeah, it did bother me a little bit because I I knitted these socks myself and I was really <laughs> proud of them. And you made fun of my socks. And yeah, thank you for thank you for saying things that. were getting so bad with me um socially that Josh was like, Okay, I need you every time you go out, whether it's a work event or a something, I want you to connect with one person. And that means I need you to walk up to them. And I need you to say, like, hi, I'm Sarah. Like, tell me, what are you doing here? Oh, I and I was like, Josh, I am not fucking doing that. And he would have to force me to do it. And it feels so good when you do it. All these fears, and it all goes back to shame, right? Like, oh God, well, what if I walk up to that person and they're like, get the fuck away from me? Josh is like, Sarah, people right. do not behave like that. Like only like psychos would actually right. look at you and be like, get the fuck out of my face. You know what I mean? Like people don't right. actually, people are actually most people would be very happy for you to walk up to them, introduce yourself, and have a conversation with you. Right. And the person who says, get out of my face, like that's probably not a very relational person. They're not really who you want to have in your, yeah. your social universe. Yeah. Right. And so this gets back to the, the second prong of that, of that question you mm -hmm. asked is looking like how much validation do I get for myself internally versus externally? Right. And so the people who really know you and you know accept you and, and care about you, how they respond to you matters more if you're looking at, at sort of external feedback and how you should feel about yourself. And then the rest of it comes back to am I living my values? Am I being the person who is compassionate and loyal and you know a family-oriented person? Like you, everybody can look at their values and be like, am I being me? Do I what do I have to be proud of? Because the flip side, the flip side of shame is pride at a certain level. You have to have a healthy sense of who you are and know what's good about you. And, and that really comes from how you are as a person. It's not based on what's my bank account look like? Did I graduate with high honors? Did I, these, these things are- These aren't the thing that are connecting us. These aren't- Yeah, they aren't, they aren't the thing that, yeah, I don't, no one walks around, I don't think, um, and says, oh, you know, all of my friends have gone to Ivy League schools. That's just, I'm sorry, if you didn't go to an Ivy League school, you're not my friend. And, or all my friends are like, they, they, they do this or they use this brand or they do it. Like, no one makes those assessments that way. They're all looking at like, who are you to me? How do you make me feel when I'm around you? And that's, that's where people are making those assessments of who they want to be. It's so true. To. Like thinking about all these kids right now who are, sending in their college applications, right? Like all the ones going, oh my God, if I don't get into this school or that school, nobody's going to like me. I'm not going to get the job I want to get. I'll bring shame to my family. And it, guys, it's just, it's right. not fucking true. Like, it's just right. not true. Like I look at 
resumes all the time, whether it be for the fund, for favorite daughter, for whatever. Uh, 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 you went to Harvard or you went to USC or you went to some school I've never heard of. If I'm going to meet with you, I am not going to say, oh, you know what? This is the person I want to be on my team because they went to Harvard, even though that person was a fucking horrible interview or not a personality that I connect with. I genuinely do not care. Yes, there might be some professions where it matters, but I think we're actually, especially now, uh, looking at those types of schools as um, they just don't have the weight that maybe they had a long time ago. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah, I don't think they... They they shouldn't have the weight in terms of, and I say this as an Ivy League educator. Oh, yeah. Where did you they go again? Oh, you went to Cornell. Cornell and Columbia. Oh, um, okay. That's but, fancy. But I've heard that. Well, Ivy guess what? You'd still, yeah, you'd still be my life coach if you went to SMC, okay? To be clear, I didn't look at your credentials before. There you go. So, but but no, I think that in terms of being a person you want to connect to, those things no. are not related to who you are as a person. They show that you, are smart or worked hard or a combination of both, uh, or in some cases that you were a legacy at that mm-hmm. school or, or whatever else. They, they don't yeah. really tell you who you're going to be I as think a lot friend. of people listening are like, I'm sure going through. I remember when Barely Famous got canceled. I was like, my life is over, okay? And I was 32. I was like, my mm-hmm. life is over. Like, that's it. I was given this opportunity. Everyone's going to know that my show got canceled. I will be the laughing stock of Hollywood. I won't have any friends. I mean, these are the things that... These are the things that went through my head. And I'm sure people are listening right now going, I just got fired or I can't get a job. I can't find a job or I've gone on 10 job interviews. No one's calling me back. Or this is a, this is, this is a lot more people than we realize are feeling so stuck, undervalued, um, insecure. um, And I just wish I could just talk to all those people and just tell you guys, the best is ahead of you. Yeah, no, it's true. And and like being laid off yeah. or fired, like that's a very shame, given your serious camp, these are all very shameful things. And we think that we're going to be judged for that. And it does hurt. Like the, that's a normal emotion. It's normal to feel some hurt and sadness and pain about that. But it doesn't invalidate you as a human nope. being. But fuck, we think it does in the moment, right? I mean, we do, our yeah, self-worth sure. just plummets. Okay, we have to get to questions because we had 200. Yeah, let's do some so questions. So we have 30 more minutes. God, I talked about myself for an hour. My plan was to only talk about myself for 30 minutes. Um, okay, Josh, is there, as I said at the top of this episode, you are in high demand. Your brain, your wisdom, people need it. So is there a question that you, or a dilemma you want to start with or should I start at the, the beginning? Why don't you start? It's your show. Is it? Is so it? let's... Well, it's yours and Aaron's, but she's not here this week. So it's your show this week for sure. Why don't you take control? I also wanted to say that we did not take, uh, we did not talk really attachment styles, but we are doing an attachment style episode down. And I I think I can speak for the audience and for Allison. We should have Josh back because I have a feeling people are going to just, maybe we do Josh's corner and he... He's literally like, shut, shut the fuck up. He's I, By the way, I also want our audience to know, he was not into doing this at first. He had to like really think about this. He's not trying to have his, you know, face plastered on my Instagram. That is true. Okay, let's start with the first question. But I'm happy to do it because I like helping Thanks. people. That's one of my values is I know. helping I know. people. Okay, here we go. I have never met anyone more negative than my mom. And it is taking a serious toll on me. She thinks most bad things that happen to her are someone else's fault, never her own. 
As you can imagine, she is wildly self-critical and constantly says no one loves her. I try to be empathetic, but I also don't want to make her think this kind of self-thought and overall mentality is okay. But anytime I try and provide any kind of feedback, it instantly just backfires and she blows up. And I quickly backtrack and forget whatever I said. Be honest. Is there anything I can do to help this situation? First of all, I I will be honest, but I really feel for this person who wrote this Me too. and for their mom because their mom clearly has tremendous struggles with shame, like we were talking about before. And then like we were talking about with the compass of shame is an external. She's, in, she's attacking other, mm-hmm. it sounds mm-hmm. like. Uh, and she probably spends a lot of time internally attacking, attacking herself and feeling worthless with that wildly self-critical comment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that, that that's a big problem to deal with. And the hard part is that this is a, a child of this parent and that's not your responsibility. Your job no, your, like that's not your responsibility. So you're feeling, I understand that feeling, but I think what, what, what really will help you more is to, to realize there's there's not so much that you can do. If if your mom isn't really familiar with shame, one of the things you could do, and one of the you know the the most popular person speaking about this today, more in the context of Brene vulnerability Brown. than shame, is Brene yeah. Brown. And so it'd be great for her to say, "Mom, will you watch these TED talks with me?" If there was a suggestion, I would. You might want to start with something like that. But I think the other important thing is to to look at what do I need to do for myself so that I can just accept my mom where she is and realize it's not it's not my job as her kid. Even though I feel that pain with her, how can I find a way to let her be her and not feel like it's my responsibility to, to Yeah, have but to do you almost have that. to be willing to walk away from the relationship? Like, do you almost have to be willing? I mean, we don't know how bad it actually is, but what kind of boundary yeah. should be set with this kind of situation? Well, I think that when people you love are in a bad place and they're kind of stuck and you're feeling stuck in it, you may need to take a a step back, but I don't know if that step back needs to be like totally not connecting or relating to that parent. You just need to sort of be able to control your own. The only thing you can control is you, right? You can't change some other people or make them change for you. So you have to figure out what do I need to do inside me? And so that's a thing that depending on where this person is, they could talk about the therapist or a coach and figure out, okay, so what do I, what can I manage inside me so that I can stay connected to my mom in whatever way actually works? But it sounds like she tries, right? That she tries to give feedback. She tries and then the mom blows up at her. So when the mm-hmm. mom is blowing up at her, what do you say? Do you just sort of say like, I, mom, I, I have to disengage with you. You can't treat me like this. You know, can you say that to your mom? You could, but I, again, you need to, this is a thing where, this is why advice columns aren't always that helpful for people. And I want to be as helpful as we can. I don't know what's, what kind of feedback is really being given, but it sounds like whatever's happening, that path is just making the mom feel more shame. So if you know that mom has trouble feeling shame and her child is with good intentions shaming her then you, the first obvious answer is uh stop doing the stop giving her feedback that's mm. not that's not helping you have a functional relationship with her right the i'm, I'm going to go to the, a joke that you it's used all the time it's the only joke i reliably know is how many life coaches does it take to change a light bulb i don't know one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Uh, so, is that a so joke? The, 
that's well, it's, it's not, not that funny. funny. Joke, but God, you've got to. But I'm not going to feel judged by you for that. I'm like, feel, Josh, that's a accepted. terrible joke. Sorry. <laughs> the light bulb has to want to change. And the mom right now, if she wants to change, she needs to, to try to do something different, right? So my assumption in saying maybe you could watch those videos with her is maybe that will light up something in the mom and see that, oh, I, I do want to change and I could see some hope here. Yeah. Is that um, like, does that come but, across though as condescending? I mean, I'm just thinking I'm putting myself in that situation with my parents. Like, let's watch these videos. I mean- the videos are probably very helpful. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a way in which you can propose and you sh- you think she should propose they watch them together. It might be worth seeing. It, it might not. You could also just say like, I've, I've tried that or I've tried everything and I can't, then you have to think about like, how can I manage myself? What What's in my control? God, here? the dynamic between adult children and parents is so fucking hard. You know, I like... I'm so with my girls, especially, I mean, really both of them, probably more, always more Valentina because she's older, but you know, whenever they tell me they're like, they're worried about me or something, they'll be like, no mom, like Mm -hmm. it's late, you know, don't go out. It's, it, it affects me so much. I always say to them, you guys, it is not your job to worry about me. It is my job. And I don't know if this is right. You and I, I don't, I don't know Mm -hmm. if I've ever talked to you about this, but I'm like, Mm -hmm. It kills me. And I think it's because I worried about my mom a lot and she never told me not to worry about her. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know that if she told me not to worry about her, it would have made a difference, but I felt bad for her. I felt like life is so unfair. Like she got she got divorced and left and she's alone and she's sad. She has a broken heart and she's like stuck with these kids and she's raising these kids. And I felt bad for her and I knew she was sad. So I go so over the top, and you and I have talked about this, to the point where you're like, mm-hmm. no, Sarah, it's okay. Your kids need to see you vulnerable. They need to see you cry. Right. That I'm so right. obsessed with them never seeing me sad, never seeing me cry, never seeing me, um, you know, in a state of anything that would make them feel bad for me. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know that that's right. helpful, but that's just how it is. I think you, you, your kids need to know that you're okay, but they, they don't you don't have to show that you're okay by not feeling anything. Like you, you can show your, when, when, if your daughter's worried about you or both of them are worried about you, what's most important is that you understand they're worried. That's a way of you seeing like, oh, they're kind of scared. And my job is actually to let them know that it's, it's okay. They don't, they don't need to be scared. I'm, I'm going to be fine. God, we're all just out here trying not to, you know, give our kids, put the same shit on yeah. our kids that our parents put on us. Yeah, no, totally. <gasps> Absolutely. Oh, just trying to break the cycle over here. Um, even though, you know, big picture, I, my mom was like so amazing. And I look back now that I am a mom and I'm like, oh my God, my poor mom. Like I was so hard on her. I was so yeah. hard on her. And it is so hard being a parent. It just, it is. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously not a doctor, so it would be not right for me to tell you that all your kids are deficient in something. That would not be right for me to tell you, but I will say that most kids are. Most kids are not eating, you know, veggies and fruits twice a day. If they are, congrats. You are a much better parent than myself. But my kids are not getting all the nutrients they need in their food. I wish they were, but they're not. That is why the vitamins have to come into play. It's a must. So the high vitamins, they're not these sugary, crappy vitamins. There's no sugar in them. It's all the good stuff. 
It has the vitamin D, the B12, vitamin C, the zinc, the folates, all the things that they're, you know, that's needed to support their immune system, their energy, their brain function, their mood, their concentration, their teeth, their bones, and more. It's a total non-GMO vitamin. It's vegan. It's dairy-free. It's allergy-free. It's gelatin-free. It's nut-free. I mean, guys, these are the perfect supplements for your kids. It's for kids of all ages. Uh, it arrives straight to your door. You never have to worry about going to the store to get them. You know, it's cute. They send you little packages with stickers. You can The kids can design themselves, so they sort of feel like ownership of it. And it's quickly, it becomes a habit. You brush your teeth, you have your vitamin. It becomes just a routine for them. So we've worked out a special deal for you. Their best-selling children's vitamin, Haya, is going to give you 50% off your first order. You guys, you're not going to get a better deal than that. That's half off, 50%. To claim that deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash foster. This deal is not available on their regular website. You have to go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash foster and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. I think every 10 years, sort of, science, um, there's breakthroughs. They realize, oh, this is the thing that you need for your immune system. This is the thing you need for your, your skin, your overall health. Well, right now, we now know that colostrum has been a huge missing link in your immune system, your vitality, your energy levels, all the things. So colostrum is the first nutrient, nutrition, we receive in life. It's full of all the essential ingredients our bodies need in order to thrive. Okay. So yes, there is a lot of colostrum out there, but Armra colostrum is proprietary. Nobody else has these exact ingredients. It's a concentrate. It's a special concentrate of bovine colostrum. It harnesses over 400 living bioactive nutrients that rebuild the barriers of your body and fuels your cellular health. It's helping with the anti-inflammation. It's fortifying your gut health. It's activating your hair growth, your skin radiance. It's powering your fitness performance and recovery. I mean, very anti-aging, by the way, very. Armra is a premium bovine colostrum concentrate, and unlike any other product on the market, it's wholly natural. It's sustainable and it was developed with the highest integrity from start to finish. So I would incorporate this into your routine, you guys. It's a great, great, great thing to incorporate. Again, we're always looking for ways to, you know, get your immune system to be where it needs to be. This should be added to the routine. We've worked out a very special offer for you. Our audience is receiving 15% off your first order. So go to try armra.com slash foster or enter foster to get 15% off your first order. That is T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash foster. Okay. Second question. My boyfriend gets triggered when you put pressure on him to do something. He says it feels like it becomes a chore, clearly stemming from his childhood issues. I want to know what he's thinking for our relationship timeline, engagement, kids, et cetera, but I do not want him 
to then get frustrated, feel like I am pressuring him. Okay, we're hearing this a lot. A lot of women, this is a heavily female audience, even though shout out to all the men that listen, um, because we do have a fair amount of those. But a lot of women are like, look, I'm ready. Like, uh, it's not that I want to get married today, but I need to know it's going somewhere. I need to know this relationship is going somewhere. I don't want to waste time. We hear this a lot, but I don't want to pressure him. I don't want to bring it up. Like, help these people, Josh, help them. So the first question is what, if I was this person's coach, I'd say, what is going to happen if you bring that up? Is that an unreasonable thing to bring up? And what is going to happen if you bring it up? And it's not an unreasonable thing to bring up. It's normal in a relationship. A relationship is really about forming a we, right? And so you can think of that in the simple sense as two intersecting circles, the classic Venn diagram, right? And there's stuff in the where the circles intersect that is a natural overlap. We We both think that dogs are amazingly cute. We both really love this about the other person. We like to listen to reggae. I don't know, making stuff oh, up. Reggae. Obviously. And that, that's great. I'm just going old school. There's there's a lot of easy we, right? So there's a, that easy stuff that makes a relationship go. And then I think a lot of people think, well, that's going to be the determining part of where we wind up as a couple. But if you look at healthy relationships, what happens is if you imagine an extension outside the Venn diagram, there needs to be a part of each person that is interested in exploring who the other person is and what they want and how they feel and what they're, where they want to go with their life. And if both sides are doing that, if, if, if she's doing that with him and he's doing that with her, it shouldn't be a problem to bring up something like this. But if it's the very nature that it's, um, a, a, a question that she feels like it could blow the thing up means that it probably is a question that needs to be asked. Interesting. And there shouldn't be anything wrong with curiosity about your partner in a relationship. If your partner has a problem with you being curious, that's maybe you need to really think about like, why is that? Right. It's not like you should be saying, when are we getting married? I'll die if you don't marry me. Okay. Maybe that's a little aggressive, but there's right. nothing wrong with right. being like, where do you see this going? I'm happy with you. Right. I can see myself long-term with you. I'm not saying I need that today, but do you see that also with me, right? Is that sort of how you would say that or no? Well, I think you could even, you could be more specific. You could be like, uh, this, this, this question doesn't say how long they've been together, but I feel like there was another question somewhere that someone submitted that said they've been together for like three years. And I feel like it was a, a similar flavored question. And yeah, it's pretty reasonable to ask because you you have a things that you want in your life. You may you may want to be a mother when you're younger and want to have some some sense of getting married earlier, and that's okay. That's what you want. It doesn't mean it's the only thing that you could do, but you need to put out like what you would like, and then be able to see like how does that intersect? Is there a way to make that intersect with my partner and what they want? I think as women, we get so caught up. I know I have in like putting my needs aside, right? So it's like, what if hypothetically, I'm like, I want to be a mom at 30, right? And I'm in this relationship. This isn't my situation, but mm -hmm. like, so wait, so his feelings are more important than you, what you want is not as important as what he might want. Like, no, you're, you're, instead of advocating for what you want and need and not in like a psychotic way, but just in, I want right. to be leaning, working towards this. You're thinking about his, what, what, like what's better for him. Like that's no way to live. I mean, you should be able, you know, it's funny. And I've talked about this on the podcast. I have women in my life who I swear to God, and I'm not telling you to do this, but from month three are going, 
you know I want to be Mrs. Smith. Like, you know that's what I want. Like, you know, like, I love you. Like, I, and I'll watch this and I'll be like, oh my God, she has such balls. But then the boyfriend will be like, God, look at her. She just, she's like, she knows. She's like, she wants me to propose. And and they talk about it. And it's, he's not looking at her like, what a loser. He's looking at her like, God, like she knows what she wants. I like it. And maybe that shouldn't be a blanket blanket generalization because maybe that doesn't work for all people. But most people, most women I know that lay it all out there, you know, not like on the first date again, mm-hmm. but it works out for them. It can. I think the the danger is that at three months, honestly, like, I don't think you really know the person. Yeah, three months is and too so early. That's too, Okay, that's too early. So if you're telling somebody that and you're saying, I want to marry you, I would say, like, I don't think you see me. So that would be a disqualifier for me. It's like, you've decided that you know who I am. And okay, three months, that's too premature. But a year, I think after a year, you know, you, you know, maybe you're, you, you know, know, someone after a year, yeah. right? Pretty well. I mean, it all, it all depends on how the, how the relationship is conducted, right? So there's a lot, of, a time frame isn't really the way that I think about it. I think about more of like, the intimacy with which you know somebody, right? So if you imagine uh, a, a, a descent, you know, from a, a graph like going down towards intimacy, each people, each person has a slightly different rate of of getting closer and deeper with somebody. You may happen to match up with someone who follows your exact same rate, and then it's very harmonious. But a lot of the time, one person wants to be more connected or more committed than the other person, and so there's a tension. It's like Wait, a, is that a true? Between those is two that points. true in a, in a relationship? Oh, yeah. Almost always, one of the parties wants to be more connected than the other. Yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's just a statistical just, thing. It's neither neither good nor bad. That's just the way that it works out. And and so, if that thread, if someone like this is this is like you're going to talk more about attachment. You said on an upcoming podcast, but like the mm-hmm. classic anxious and avoidant attachment. That avoidant person, they have a very flat line towards intimacy. It's going to take them years to get to where the person with the more uh, anxious attachment style would be in months. And so there's always a tension between those two things that then the couple only stays together if they ignore that tension. And so you have to be able to look at that tension in order to see, will this relationship All work? Right. Can, can this person who is more avoidant move closer towards intimacy? Can I slow down my desired rate towards intimacy? And is that going to work with the goals of what my right. life is? Right, so are? this person is well within her rights to be curious about where he yep. sees, right? Maybe that's the yep. thing. Don't be like, where are we going? Don't let him, don't give him all the power. It's more, where do you right. see this going? You see, yeah, what? Yeah, it's being curious about what his goals for the relationship are and how he's visualizing life and how he's visualizing the we, right? So when you're thinking about a, a marriage or a close relationship like that, there's a whole new entity of the we. It's not just two eyes. So how does the we come together? What happens? Tommy there? used to ask me in the early our early days what my goals were. And it really fucking triggered me. Like it really triggered me. I was like, God, you're this is so annoying. What an annoying question, you know? And now looking back, you know, 17 years later, it was so mature of him. It it made it made yeah. sense. I mean, I'm sure if I had told him my goals, he probably would have broken up with me. I, I don't even know. Like, but I avoided it because I didn't know. I was just, I was not somebody who was in my body. I just didn't know who I was or anything. So I think I was so triggered by that question because I'm like, oh, he knows who he is. He knows what he wants and I don't. And the truth is you should ask your partner early in the relationship, right? Early, not let's get married, but what are your goals? 
not not on the mm-hmm. first date. But Relatively early. early, and I think it's an ongoing conversation, right? Because there's, again, as you get to know people, there's things you share about yourself that you feel more comfortable. Like the time is right to share X part of, of this. And the time to talk more about, like talking about kids on date one probably isn't, hopefully that's not a big deal, obviously, but people may not really know if I want to have, have kids yet. People, people get to that at different stages in time. And as the relationship progresses, you kind of keep revisiting that. Healthy couples revisit their goals regularly and, and their vision and see like, are we aligned? Such a good, that's such good advice. Um, okay. This one is, I hear this a lot. Okay. What do you do if you're in therapy doing a ton of work on yourself, but your partner refuses to go to therapy and says he can do the work on his own? There are things he definitely needs to resolve, but he refuses to get help. I feel like sometimes he makes it feel like I am the only one in the relationship with issues. But aside from this, everything else is great. Okay. I see this a lot. A lot of couples, one person wants to take the journey of bettering themselves and Mm -hmm. self-reflection and all the things, and the other person doesn't. So what do you do? This all, this all, I think the question maybe is hoping that there's something you can do for the guy who's saying he can do the work on his own. Yeah, what's her question? But the question really, the only answerable question is what can she do if that's what's going on, right? And so what she can do is she needs to assess whether he's actually someone who can grow and change with her. Right, because we're all going to grow and change through our lives and in our relationships. And the number one predictor of relationship success that I have seen is the partner's capacity to accept, grow, and change with the other person. So that's the only thing she can really do is is make her best assessment of is he is he sincere in that? Is he is he going to grow and change? And it's just at a different rate than what she's doing. She's doing a ton of work on herself, so she's. Striking me is again, this is um there's a disparity here. There's a this is a tension between the two. And what is the thread gonna break if he doesn't do that work? She has to decide. I see a lot of couples, especially, you know, maybe the generation ahead of me, where couples are are getting divorced, couples are breaking up because one person, you know, is is just on the journey and the other one isn't. And then you look at each other and you just go like, wait, like we don't see eye to eye in anything. I'm now here. I've evolved. Like I am, I am at, at this peak. You're still down here. And where do we go from? Like, I'm seeing that a lot. Right. Right. No. And I think that, you know, it's, it's not usually a great sign to say, well, this is me. This is what I am. Like, that's not, that's not a relationship skill. It's not helpful to just say, well, this is just who I am. That's a really, that's a good point. I think that's kind of like a great, uh, 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 that the low hanging fruit you would call, right? Like, well, this is who I am. It's like, well, that's, that doesn't work anymore. Like, that's just an excuse. That's right. Okay. That's showing a lack, a lack of a desire to do work, or it could reflect a, a, a firm belief that I will not change. I need to be in a relationship where I'm always going to be the same and never never evolve or grow. By the way, I just like to say working on yourself is really fucking hard. It is it's it is. it's 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 I would say the feeling I get and this isn't about you, this is about me. The feeling I get before I get on with you is how I feel before I'm about to walk into the gym. 
you know, because mm -hmm. it is such a, it is such a mental workout to access these places and these emotions and the vulnerability and the, the, it's so hard, but it's rewarding the same way as when you're, when you're physically working on yourself. I mean, but it ain't, yeah. but it's not easy. Yeah. Let me tell no, you, for sure. let me tell you, for sure. it is, it is not easy. Okay. It's a lot of work. I mean, all these questions are so good. How do we even, I guess I'll just go down the, the list. Okay. I keep putting my anxieties around abandonment and alcoholism onto my boyfriend when he has not done anything terrible to deserve that. But he also isn't helping the situation by doing the things I've told him I need to calm me down. Goal. Mm -hmm. Oh, goal. Ha okay. Her goal is to have him understand that I'm working on changing this, but need him to do some small things to help me progress. How I've tried to change the situation, I've tried to explain this to him. And this person self-identified as An anxiously attached. As right? anxiously attached, yeah. So what's in her control? Let's make you the coach for a second. Oh, God. What, no, what's I, in her uh, control? No, me? I mean, What's actually in her control. The only thing in her control is how she reacts and how she advocates for herself. I mean, she can't control him. She can't control all these little things that he's doing. Right. And her desire to have him help the situation by doing the things she told him. Right. I'm like, are you trying to be down. his mother? Like, no one wants it's. Well, yeah, she's, she's kind of placing this thing externally. And while I understand that, and that's a desire and some, some aspect of that would probably help this relationship hang on until that thread, because it sounds like a classic anxious avoidant attachment thing where the thread is going to potentially snap. And that's what's making her try to get him to do something and, and keep her hanging on in the relationship. And that, that rarely works. It rarely works. Also, is she and, and, saying that she's an alcoholic? I don't. I couldn't tell who was alcoholic there. If it's a classic avoidant person, you'd favor the odds being that he might be somebody who's alcoholic and doesn't kind of numbs out his feelings and and does that. Oh God. So it's hard. To, it's hard to know. But either way, there needs to be a part of her that realizes, oh, I need to. Hopefully, she understands her attachment style. Maybe she'll benefit from the the attachment pod that comes up. But the other place I, I send people to learn about this is the book Attached Oh yeah, uh, by Amir Levine, which is a, a classic and and it's written exactly for uh, uh, someone with an anxious attachment style. So it's, it's, it's a so funny thing. when when people in the past have been like, oh, read this book. I'm like, oh, fuck you. Yeah. Okay, just give me, tell me what to do. I don't want to, don't make me go read a book. But let me tell you, the books that Josh suggests or whoever suggests, I'm telling you, they, they can change your life. So yeah. don't just take it as like, oh, great, thanks. You're telling me to go read a book. Like, go go on Amazon, get the book. Like, right. truly, it's the, these are the kind of books where you finish the book, you put it away, and you change your life. You make decisions, big decisions right. sometimes after finishing one of these books. Right. And your response is a normal response when someone tells you that. Because yeah. it's, it's a book. It's not about you. Yeah. Right? Obviously, the best help you can get is going to be about you. But you can get some frameworks, and most of these people who write self-help books, they they are trying to give you tools. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a tool you can apply and say, like, is this what's going on? Is this a thing that will help me with my uh, feelings of shame or a thing that will help me with my attachment style? That's yeah. a really okay, good book. This is, this is an anxiously attached person. Okay. Um, I'm really stuck. The stuck, she's stuck. Low self-confidence and esteem and moving alone to a new city for work, only in the office one day a week, 
and scared of getting depressed due to be lo- due, due to being lonely. My goal is I want to have the confidence to get a new boyfriend and try to make new friends. I used to be very confident until a bad relationship. How I've tried to change the situation, I'm taking the first step and pushing outside of my comfort zone by moving cities. By the way, let me just start out by saying you're amazing. Moving to a new city, I've never even done it, okay? I am too scared to do it. And I even, if I've known, so first of all, I'd also, I'd like to say, you're more ahead than you think you are just in taking that step. Like if you're capable of doing that, you're capable of all the things that you just asked for advice on. Yeah, no, that's a really big step and that's hard to do. I I think that one thing that can really help, and I mentioned this earlier, is really working from your strengths. Right, the way you, you try to build a more secure mindset, which will help you feel better about yourself and and form connections more easily, you've got to know what those strengths are, right? And so there's a the VIA. I don't know if I'm supposed to pronounce it the VIA Institute, but the VIA Institute on Character, they've got a free survey that you can take, and it helps you see your own strengths. Because a lot of times, when you're feeling not confident, you really are blinded to the positive qualities that are in you. And it's super important to find a way to be better in tune with those. So if you can start with something like that, and then depending on on your preference or where you are, like connecting with a coach or a therapist to also help kind of mirror that back to you and help you figure out how do I build on these strengths to, to get to where I'm going or build these relationships that I want to or build this sense of confidence and uh, ability that, that I want to have. That, that can be super This whole helpful. working from home thing is really fucking people up. Like, I know it sounds all great sometimes. Like, ooh, work from home. I could just be in my pajamas. And that all is great for sure. Especially someone like me who could like live in their bed like the grandparents in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> um, but I think it really is messing with the mental health of this, of not even this generation, but everybody. I mean, I it's, you got to get out. How are you going to meet people if you are home? You know, I mean, I say... We suggest apps. They have apps now, which, listen, there's a lot of great people on some of these apps. They have apps for, mm-hmm. for friendship who are like like-minded people like you. And now through the the filters are so high tech that you can really find your match in friendships. Mm-hmm. But um, loneliness is a killer. I mean. Yeah. And we're, 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 it's not just, I mean, our mental health is affected, but it's also social skills, right? So you, you learn how to relate and connect and you have a, a much larger pool of live connections where you work, your brain is built to work better than an algorithm in terms of connecting with people. Like they can do what they want with tech, but it's not going to be the same as meeting somebody and, and just that sixth sense that we have about this is my kind of person. And so by not being exposed in real life to those people, it definitely makes it harder. Right. So do you suggest these people go to co-working spaces? I always think every time I've ever gone to a co-working space, I'm always shocked by how cool people are. I'm always like, oh, if I was single or if I was trying to build a business or something, I'd be so, this is where I'd want to be. I mean, it's really, you got to put yourself out there in ways that we just never used to have to. Yeah, you do. And you have to find different ways to to stretch and, and connect. On, on things that are of interest to you or things you feel passionate about. So that could be going to volunteer, it could be working in the co-working space. I mean, you, you need to try to get connection in real life with people as much as you can. I have a lot of friends who are really, their social life has changed through pickleball. Now, mm-hmm. this is not something I'm interested in, but I have a lot of friends who are like meeting their new best girlfriends, they're meeting partners all through pickleball. Probably because you got the cute outfit I know you on. Say that. 
You know? I know you say that, but I have a feeling you're going to make a pickleball investment sometime in Q4 of 2025. You know me so well. I'm just trying to get the audience there. I'm just trying to whet their appetite for pickleball. Okay, so Josh, I... I placed us at an hour and a half, that is 90 minutes, to respect your time as a very in-demand coach. Um, And it turns out we need a lot more time. So I think we're going to need you back or because there are 375 more questions that we're going to need you to answer. Sounds like a very long episode, (laughs) Um, but if if you want to do 375 questions, we can give it a shot. Oh I've been, it's God. been great to be here. Okay. Well, I think the audience is going to want you back on a, on the regular. So, um, uh, yeah, I guess Aaron's going to have to look for a new job. I don't know. Maybe we're, maybe Aaron's out of a, out of a podcast deal. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I anyone can match your guys' rapport. So. I know it's so fucked up. Like we have a good rapport. It really is. She's kind of irreplaceable and I definitely am irreplaceable. So. Obviously. 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 Well, no, it's been great. And there were great questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to more of them. uh, But yeah, I was a little nervous. I think I was a little nervous because I really want you to see the best in me. I want you to be, you know what I mean? Because even though you don't judge me, I need you to think I'm amazing. So I was really a little nervous. Allison, were my nerves coming through? No, you did great. That's amazing. It felt felt natural here. All right. All right. Thanks again. All right, Josh. I'll I'll call you later. Sounds good. All right. Good luck with the meeting. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you liked it as much as we did. We have a big, big, big request for you. We, we do. Please go leave a review. It makes a big difference for us. I was about to say, Aaron, don't sound so desperate, but we are a little desperate. We are a little desperate. We need you to leave a review. It's really important. And we don't it ask you for anything. Two seconds. By the way, send a screenshot of your review and maybe we'll post it. Okay. Maybe we'll call you. Maybe we'll... Why are you rolling your eyes? Just every episode is going to say that, though. Great. <laughs> okay. This podcast is executive produced by... Can you not use that voice? I'm sorry. I'm trying to sound... Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced Just by... Be... Can you... Do you have a normal voice? Yeah. Aaron Foster... Sarah Foster and Allison Bresnick. Okay, I'll take over. Our, Our associate, associate producer is Montana McBearney. Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great. <laughs>